one of the chapters of the book talks extensively about how to plan a funeral and memorial. And you go through all that so the person has a voice when they're gone. It takes away a lot of the strife from family members. Two words to think about it is vision and desire. That's my guest today, Rick Craig, on a season of Caring Podcast, where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. This is Raina Nysis, your host. Let me introduce you to Rick. Author Rick Craig has been an ordained Christian pastor for over 20 years. He felt led to share his professional and personal experiences to help others navigate this journey of planning for end of life at any age. When it's time, walks you through 13 end of life realities that surviving family members will inevitably encounter. Having planned and officiated well over 150 funerals and memorial services, his expertise in this area is invaluable. Sharing his own stories of loss along with others' testimonies and insight from contributing authors who are experts in the field, when it's time, contains relatable stories to guide and equip anyone to take the next steps in end-of-life planning. Learn how a well-thought-out plan can be one of the best gifts that becomes part of your legacy. Welcome, Rick. It's good to have you here today. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, I know within your book, you share your own losses, but if you could start off and just share a little bit about your caregiving seasons that you've had at different times in your life, I'd like our audience just to be able to connect with that. Sure. Well, it really started off with my brother who ended up passing away from H. George Vietnam, but he came up to Northern California, lived with me for six months while he was going through some significant treatments, including a kidney transplant. And then my wife passed away a year later, and she had suffered from cancer for 15 years. And on two different occasions, going through significant treatments and taking care of her at home, and then finally she was the second person in the world to go through a tandem stem cell transplant. And that's where she's in the hospital for a month, receiving treatment, home for a month, and then back in again. And I was the caretaker for her. And then lastly, for my dad, lived in Northern California for three years before he passed away and he had dementia. And so I was taking care of him. So I've, I've got that route before. Uh, it's honoring and it's a lot of work. It is. It definitely is. And you've had all spectrums from hands-on every day to distance and trying to navigate that. It's such a challenge to do. So your experience, both professionally as a pastor and then personally has definitely made you uniquely qualified to be able to talk on this subject of end of life. And I know with COVID and all that happened with that, you probably saw quite a difference in how families handled end of life. I know even personally, having an aunt that passed away during COVID time, not being able to have the funeral, not being able to go to her memorial service like we would have if it hadn't happened during that time. But Share with us a little bit of the differences of how different people prepare for that end of life before COVID and now two years later since we first learned about COVID. Have you seen a change? That's, that's a great question. You know, during that 24-month period where I officiated 86 funerals memorials, three months of that, there was no funerals memorials in California. It was shut down. Uh, so unfortunately, families were not able to do that with their loved ones. But what I thought I was going to experience when it all started would be a tremendous change in how people viewed end of life. I did not see any change 
whatsoever. And I was mm. fascinated by that. I talked to a number of funeral directors that I work with in, in different funeral homes, and they too really didn't see any difference. And so when you talk about pre-planning, you would think that that would be a motivator for some people. They would say, I want to go out and get this done. I want to start talking about it. I want to make some plans. I didn't see that, which is shocking to me. So for me, virtually no change whatsoever. Wow. Yeah, we would have expected that it brought more conversations around that. And I had a guest, Maureen, who's an end-of-life doula. And one of the things she talked about was her mom was in the hospital with COVID. And she specifically went over scenarios with her mom. You know, mom, if they want to put you on a ventilator and they're expecting that you'll get off in a couple of weeks, would you want to do that? Or if you're going to be on a ventilator for months, would you want to do that? You know, she got really specific in those conversations. But I think we are so not comfortable with the subject that we don't even go there, even when it's staring us in the face. So that's really interesting. Well, I, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is it's a subject matter that very few people, very few people know anything about. Mm-hmm. We all know one day we're going to die. That, mm-hmm. That's a given. But if you don't know how to even approach the subject matter, whether it's at home talking with family members or actually making plans, you become paralyzed. And most people don't really go out and, and learn about the subject matter. They, they don't. So kind of looking back over the last couple of years, it was a surprise that people did change their pattern after COVID was taking so many lives. I think I can look back at it now and say, they just didn't know what to do. They didn't even know where to start. So I think that's part of it. So when you meet with families after they've lost a loved one, then what do you talk about in preparation for officiating that service? And what are some of the advantages of people having pre-planned versus not even talking about it in advance? Well, there's two different terms to think of and define. Pre-need means that you're planning. Need meaning that there's a death. So pre-need, you're planning ahead of time. At need means that death has just occurred. So if you were to walk into a funeral home or mortuary and say, uh, the funeral director would say, are you pre-need or at need? Meaning, has there been a death in the family or are you in here just to do some homework and look at pricing and and what we offer? So when you look at it in in that direction, what are people doing today? And what do we talk about when we meet together? We talk about their loved one. I have a family questionnaire that I give to them that's 38 questions long. And so on. And we talk about their loved one and about what the plan was in order to honor that person. If there is no plan, that, that begins a whole different conversation. And it typically starts off with people leaning forward and looking at me and saying, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Versus the person that has pre-planned to say, Here's what they wanted and here's what we've done. So let's take this now and make it into a service. So one of them is, is got a plan. They have a map in their hand. The other one literally says, what do I do now? And that is a very large question. It deals with finances, deals with legal matters, it deals with funeral preparation. So there's a big difference between the two. So in your book, When It's Time, is about preparing for end of life at any age. So tell us a little bit more about any age and why someone who's young or maybe just in a caregiving role versus the person they're caring for, why do they care about this? Yeah, that's another great question. At any age, and I wrote that as part of the subtitle for a reason, would you think that if I go back and look at all the records of funerals that I've done, most people would think, well, they're probably in their 70s or 80s. And that isn't true. The average age is early 50s. 
So when you think about a young couple getting married or somebody in their 30s and they have kids and they have a house and they have careers, at any age means that if you are in your late 20s, you're both working and you have assets and one or more to pass away unexpectedly, the whole process starts with legalities, goes into probate, is your life insurance. So when you start off as a young family and you start accumulating assets, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be something put together to protect you, to protect your family financially and legally. So when I sit down with families and they're in their, say their parents are in their 50s and they just had a child pass away in their 20s or 30s from an accident or cancer or something, quite often there's no plan. Mm -hmm. So one of the first questions I'll say is, Rick, you do this all the time. Uh, what should we do legally? There's no trust. There's no will. What should we do? And so when you look at it at any age, think about it in terms of maintenance for anything around your house, anything at all. You maintain that tool or, or whatever that may be. If you maintain it, it lasts for a long time, but it has to be maintained. So it has to be updated regularly as it is with trusted wills and life insurance and if your family as it grows, you need to maintain that in order to get the benefit of pre-planning one day when that person does pass away. So any age really does start in the 20s and it doesn't end until end of life, which could be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. My father passed away at 91 in his late 80s with dementia. He had a trust, but we had worked that trust every couple of years to make sure that it was up to date so that when he passed away, because my mother already had, he had just put the key condition, turn it, and then everything just starts to work out as, as planned. So at any age, really is any age. Yeah, definitely. I personally had an experience in my early 30s where I survived a saddle pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in the lung. And most people don't survive that. I was single at the time, and it was definitely a wake-up call to me. Even though I was single and I wasn't going to leave you know, anybody in the lurch. And that way I still was going to leave it to my family to have to figure out my affairs. And so that was a time which was kind of a wake up call that made me say, okay, yeah, I'm young and there's no kids to worry about and all of that, but I still need to take care of these details and make sure that I have the insurance I need to cover my expenses as well as access for my family members to be able to get to my finances to take care of those details. It is so important. And I think, unfortunately, it usually takes an event to spur people to do that. And again, I think as we're thinking of our listeners and that as family caregivers, you're very much in that stage of focusing on other people and all the things that need to happen to take care of them. And we've talked before on the podcast that it's difficult because we can't force them to take care of those things, but we can take care of them ourselves because we know that the research tells us that caregivers, oftentimes the stress and the strain on it impacts their lifespan as well. So we need to definitely make sure we have our ducks in a row. Yeah, when I was pastoring at the church and there was a church member, somebody from the community came in and, and there was a serious illness or diagnosis or uh, caretaking going on, I was always very uh, curious and, and wanted to be helpful the person that was sick or injured. But my focus really went to the caregiver, always. Because they're the unsung heroes, if you would. They're the ones that are laboring, but there's very little focus on them. They're the ones that need help. They're the ones that need encouragement. They're the ones that 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 I really focused on. Uh, in fact, over the last oh, the last twenty years of Northern California pastoring, 
I have met with probably close to 600 survivors. And each and every one of those survivors had a story. Now, some of them were more extensive than others, very involved in the caretaking, very involved in the planning. But when you think about any age, you think about somebody in their 20s or their 30s, and there was no plan, it gets right down to there could be family discussion where there's different views and opinions about cremation versus burial, length of service, where is it going to be held, music. So at any age, a person should start thinking about this, especially when you start having a family and start accumulating assets. I had a guest too, not too long ago that was talking about celebrating caregivinghood, which is that point in time when you step into the caregiver role. But I think it also helps us to think about celebrating life and that if we're planning our own celebration, then we get to pick the music and all of those things that are important to us and that could really represent us well. If we don't voice those things to our loved ones, then they're in the dark trying to figure it out and trying to think of what we might like or might not like. And it doesn't end up being quite the celebration that it could be if you were a part of planning it. So I think that's important to think about as well. In fact, one of the chapters of the book talks extensively about how to plan a funeral or memorial. And you go through all that so the person has a voice when they're gone so that it takes away a lot of the strife from family members. Two words to think about is vision and desire. So if, if you and I were related and we had a loved one die, you may have a different vision than I do for the funeral. And that's where problems begin. And so that's why, again, going back to the, the term, any age, it really is a gift to your family. When you start making plans, they know what your plan is. I agree 100%. So what are some specific action steps that you would encourage people to take? Yeah. Well, there's different types of people who would respond to this. There's the ones that are research-oriented. When they get right down, they get on the computer, they start getting Excel sheets, they start putting all this together. They're asking questions, they're doing the homework, they're comparing. And then you have the extreme other side of the coin, and that's the person who says, I don't like doing any of that, none whatsoever. And the reality is, the one who does the research and does the pre-planning, the gift that they leave their family, the survivors, is exactly that, is they, they could celebrate the life of the the person who has passed away. For the person who doesn't like to research, the action step would be take one little thing, and let's say it's the very first chapter of the book is on life insurance. One little thing, call two or three life insurance companies and talk to a sales agent and just start collecting information about that. If it's about wills and trust, then call two or three different attorneys. And, and interview them in the book. It talks about finding your funeral memorial. Could be as simple as when, in that chapter, what type of flowers would you like? If you want flowers, what type of music would you like? Where would you like it? Were you looking at cremation? Were you looking at burial? So taking everything in little tiny steps for that person who says, it's just not what I do. Take a, a little piece and give you a good example. My dad was a painter by trade. So I can remember painting with him when I was about 10 years old. My job was to take the face plates off the walls and then sand the walls down and, and clean them. And I remember walking in the first time to an apartment and I said, Dad, this is such a big job. He said, Rick, just look at that wall. Prepare that wall. Then look at the next wall. Build the next one. Just take it in little tiny pieces. So for the person who struggles with, with, with the pre-planning, 
just take a little piece and just start there and just keep, just keep knocking them out one right after another. And that's why the book is in chronological order. It starts off with pre-planning and then it co-mingles pre-planning and that need, and then it ends with at need scenarios. So everybody's different, but everybody should be looking at this by taking one piece at a time. I think that's a great suggestion because it can feel really overwhelming. And we've already talked about it. It's uncomfortable for many people. So just looking at what one thing can I do and being able to just check that off can really make such a big impact. So Rick, tell us a little bit about where they can find out more about you and any offers that you have, as well as where they can buy your book. Sure. The book is available at Amazon and the Barnes & Noble online. And uh, $16.99, I also have a website and it's whenitstime.org. And on the website is an example of each chapter, a uh, quick synopsis. There's also a calendar on there. If somebody wanted to book time with me to say, I've got questions. I want to learn more about this. They can do that. But the website, whenitstime.org is a great place to go. Learn more about me and more about this whole end of life event. So many things to learn about it. Definitely. I appreciate your time today and just being able to share a little piece of your knowledge and experience from both a pastor's role and your own personal role. I think it's invaluable for us to have this conversation, whether it be with the person we're caring for or just for ourselves. It's such an important step. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Just a reminder, a Season of Caring podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have financial, legal, or medical questions, be sure to consult your local professionals and take heart in your Season of Caring. This episode of a Season of Caring podcast has been brought to you by No Regrets, Hope for Your Caregiving Season, a five-star book available at all major retailers. A couple of Amazon reviews said, winsome and uplifting personal stories and practical tips for walking your loved one through this season of life. Michelle Howe. By reading this book and learning from its rich stories, you will begin to exchange your heartaches for hope and memories to forever cherish. Deborah Kelsey Davis. If you'd like to pick up a signed copy of No Regrets, visit noregrets-book.com and purchase the special bundle, which I've created just for you.